Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is not with me today, so we're all missing Tom, but he's off on vacation and hope he's having a great time despite the uh, snowstorm I think he had to drive through. Um, we do have a guest today. I'm excited to talk uh, to and and share her story. Katie Lip is a law firm owner focusing on employment separation counseling for companies and employees in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Katie also founded Law Practice Queen, where she advocates for female attorneys and law students to level up in their legal careers. Katie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Jay, it's so nice that we're doing this. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a blast. I've uh, been looking forward to having this conversation and kind of digging into your interesting background. And I, uh, you know, as with most uh, new uh, sort of friendships or, or relationships these days, uh, we we met on LinkedIn and I enjoy your content there. And, and we had a chance to talk as a result of that. One of the nice effects of of uh, LinkedIn as a, as a network. And so I'm excited to be able to have a conversation with you and sort of in the real world over video conference today. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I love your content too. And whenever I see your stuff, I feel like you're, you're giving useful, substantial content, which I always appreciate. So keep it uh, up. Thank you. I appreciate it. And feelings mutual. Um, so let's let's take a step back as we think about you know your experience. Give the listeners a little bit of a sense of of what you've done in your career and what you're doing now. But let's start at the point where you decided to make the leap from practicing lawyer at a law firm to starting one of your own. And I'm just want to maybe talk a little bit about what were some of the challenges, what led you to do that, um, and and maybe you know were there some hurdles that you had to overcome in the process. Yeah, so it was definitely a journey. I never viewed myself as a business owner or anybody that was ever going to own a law firm, actually. It wasn't even on my radar. And I knew where I was at. I was at a you know big law firm and I knew that I needed to make a change because they were treating me so well that I was going to die at my desk and I didn't want that to happen. You know, it was like, kind of like a golden handcuffs type situation. It was just, it was a great place. And I, I could tell I wanted something more and I was trying to figure out what that more was. And I interviewed at other firms and I, you know, of course, when one is trying to figure out one's life, I was scrolling Instagram and I came across uh, some mindset content from a person, uh, Kara Allwill, who is a life coach. And I ended up hiring her as my life coach and um, just really going through this journey where I worked on transitioning my mindset to a place where I kind of over, I overcame a lot of these self-limiting beliefs that were just totally working against me. Beliefs like uh, you know, a woman shouldn't be in charge of a law firm. Uh, uh, law firm clients, uh, they relate better to a man at the helm of a firm. Clients are too crazy. I won't be able to handle the stress that goes along with having a law firm. Uh, of course, all of these are lies that my brain was telling me. I And now I realize it was, you know, I, I got to this point where I was able to separate my thoughts from my reality. And that was the process. And it's a process I go through every day. And now it's like, I kind of catch myself like, Oh, I'm, I'm 
kind of looking at something through a lens that it's everybody kind of has a smokescreen in front of them and you view the world through this particular lens, whatever it is. Um, and so, so yeah, that was a challenge for me, certainly in the beginning. And I think once I shifted my mindset to where I went from, I can't do this to, well, why not me? And I looked at my book of business and I was like, there's enough here and I'm keeping at least two associates busy. And I want to own a piece of the company. Um, at the time I was a I was a, what they call an income partner. So for your listeners, I was getting money for bringing in clients to the firm, but I didn't own a piece of the firm. And I wanted that. I wanted to have a piece of the firm. I didn't have that opportunity in front of me at the time. So I just kind of went and made my own opportunity. I started my own firm and I took a while to create that. It took me about a year to plan that out. Um, that was challenging for sure, doing that on nights and weekends. And um, but I think I think really the mind mindset piece was the number one thing that I just needed. And I'm almost I was almost upset at the time that I didn't stumble upon it sooner. I'm like, why isn't this taught in school? Like it's just kind of something that you need to do for yourself. But I went from a place where it was like, I can't do this to why not me to, well, definitely I'm, I can support my clients. Um, and it, it's, like I said, it's a daily practice that I go through still. And when I started law practice queen, it was really to show people that they can do this. They can start a law firm. They can, they can develop business for themselves. It doesn't happen overnight, but I, Basically, I provide support to people that mostly female lawyers helping them with business development. So I hope I answered all your questions. I know you mentioned challenges and then I forget if you had any yeah. other questions. No, that was perfect. No, I, and I'm curious because um, uh, and, and we'll definitely dive into law practice queen because I think that'll be helpful for listeners to hear about. Um, so when you were getting started, though, I because I, it's I was looking and I think based on what I could, you know, sort of reverse engineering when you left. Uh, your firm and started your own. Was that about after about nine or so years of experience? Yeah, I. So when I left, let's see, I I started my firm in 2019, and I graduated from law school in 2010. So yeah, roughly okay. nine yeah. years. Um, and I was at the same firm for about eight years. Uh, right. so it was, a, it was a really good place to work to the point where I just, you know, I knew I was just going to stay there forever. If I didn't make a change, it would just get harder and harder to leave. And I knew I would have regrets it, and I yeah. didn't want to have any regrets on my deathbed. And that was something that was really scary to me to live, to live life and then have regrets at the end of the day was something I just, I, I, I couldn't do that. So I, I just yeah. had to take a chance. Well, I know that I think it's uh, the the statistic is that that's the number one regret most people have is not things that they do and try and even fail at, but things that they never uh, get never tried in the first place. Um, yeah. So I, I resonate with that. Um, and I, I think back I when I started my own small firm, I was at about the same level of experience as you were. Um, and I, I'm curious if you had a similar experience to mine, which was I ended up working quite a bit harder when I was running my own firm, at least for a while, but certainly way more satisfied in many ways. And that feeling of autonomy I had in my own practice relative to where, and, I, and same thing, the, the firms I worked at, um, there were great places to work, great people. Um, but did you, did you really get a boost from the autonomy and, and were you working harder than you ever had when you started your firm? It's, it, it, 
explains my scenario perfectly. Mm. I had two very strange feelings when I started my own firm that I did not anticipate. Number one, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders, a weight that I didn't realize was there, which was a, a fear that I was going to be fired, a fear of being fired. And for those of your listeners that maybe have been fired, I know I have, I got fired as a paralegal. It was an awful experience. <laughs> I've actually posted on that experience on LinkedIn for, for the world to share. Um, but I was one of the top you know, performers at my firm. There was no logical reason for that fear, but it was something that I didn't realize was kind of like weighing me down that suddenly was lifted. It's like, I can do whatever I want. And then mm -hmm. You go from that end of the spectrum to, oh God, there's nobody watching me. And I've never had free reign to do whatever I want throughout the day. How am I going to structure my day? And really this feeling of, wow, I'm in uncharted territory. And so at that time, that was when I really relied on a coach to kind of help me structure my days and have some, have some accountability on goals. Cause I think it's, it, it is a weird feeling not having anybody supervising you for the mm -hmm. first time in your life. Um, so yeah, the autonomy piece, it, it was awesome, but also scary at the same time. And then the work element, I mean, oh God, yeah. I mean, you're working all the time when you're in launch mode. And I think you, you have to, I think the challenge as a new business owner is to take step away. I think that if you don't, if you don't take time to step away, you're not giving yourself room to think of new ideas and that when you're in, when you're doing nothing, quote unquote, that's when you have your best ideas. Of course, that's, and the more you can carve out that time for you to quote unquote, do nothing. I think actually, ironically, the more success you'll have. And there's a lot of examples of that. Like Bill Gates will go off and do a trip by himself. And mm -hmm. any anyone who's kind of discovered something, they discover it not when they're grinding away, you know, multiple hours a day. It's in their kind of free thinking time, um, which is hard in the legal industry to do because I think there's this, you know, when you're in startup mode, you're you're grinding away, you you view hard work as the recipe to success, which of course it plays a part. But um, but yeah, I mean to go back to your point, hard work, I mean, it's it's your baby and and you're gonna do everything you can to make sure that your baby succeeds, right? Uh just like yeah. you work with a human child with your business baby. So it's it's but it's just a different kind of work. It's a it's a labor of love. I know that sounds cheesy as hell, but you know, it yeah. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, it is true. And and you're wearing so many hats all of a sudden too that it's it becomes very challenging. And that's one of the things I know, you know, I know you've grown, uh, your firm has grown over time. You probably had to learn some of those skills of delegation and and processes and systems that you don't necessarily think about when you're operating in a law firm that already has them but building them yeah. from scratch is really important and allows you to sort of get out of the day-to-day -day grind to at least some extent work on your practice more than just in your practice so yeah. it's a hard thing to do though when you're when you are at least at the start wearing many many different hats exactly uh, yeah. So, um, all right, let's shift. Let's talk a little bit about Law Practice Queen, because I know that on LinkedIn, you're often um, posting uh, content for other lawyers about, you know, your um, your practice. And, and for lack of a better term, perhaps we can call this a side hustle, um, because yes. many people, uh, you know, probably just hearing our conversation right now about your firm and how busy you are would probably be surprised that 
that you and, and many others are pursuing things that are sort of adjacent to their, their main practice and starting coaching practices or um, writing or starting podcasts, a, a host of different side hustles that are um, kind of maybe in some cases passion projects, but also are turning into uh, profitable businesses themselves. So talk to us a little bit about um, Law Practice Queen. And and I know uh, when we first spoke, Katie, you, you described how um, you know, some, I, I think I characterized what you did as coaching, but you, you, pref- you tend to, uh, describe it more as being an advocate for clients you work with. So just talk to us a little bit about law practice queen and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it has shifted so much throughout, you know, I started it in 2019 and it, it is a side hustle. It's a passion project. It gives me a lot of fulfillment. It kind of like fills up my creativity tank. So then I can go back to the law firm and, you know, give it my all with a law firm. And the biggest question I get about law practice queen is like, how, how do you find the time to do these things? And, you know, my response is it's just fun. So it's not necessarily, I don't view it as work. I don't view writing as work. I don't view posting on LinkedIn as work. It's not something I ever dread, like, you know, having a difficult conversation with a client. Sometimes I might dread a little bit because you want to, you want to make sure that you're just supporting them as much as possible. But really with Law Practice Queen, I'm supporting who I was five eight years ago where I was completely clueless about business development, networking. Um, Now we have social media that's kind of entered and, and been forced upon a lot of law firms. And that's something that comes very naturally to me. And so I'm just trying to throw the ladder down to particularly to female attorneys. That's just who I'm called to, to support. And I, you know, I, I think that um, what I do, I call it advocating just because coaching I view as you pick up, pick the goals and then your coach helps you accomplish your goals and is kind of a, you know, a cheerleader for lack of a better word. And I think coaching works. I think more people should actually do coaching. I think it really, really works. The advocating that I do for female lawyers is my overarching goal is to expand their wealth. I think that there's a lot of female lawyers that are leaving the legal industry because they think there's not a seat at the table for them. They think they don't fit in. They think it's not uh, supportive of the lifestyle that they want to live. And I'm trying to reverse that narrative as much as possible because I think that once people realize how much power they have, and, and it is internal, right? It's not all external, the validation that we seek. I think there's a real problem with the legal industry where we're we're seeking that external validation. We want to make partner. We want to uh, become the super lawyer or, you know, whatever new uh, <laughs> new title we can achieve and slap on our website. Um, I think really it's about validating yourself and going back to our point about, you know, what do you want to look back on your life and have achieved? What's your legacy? Um, I think that people really need to um, make sure that the path that they're charting out for themselves is true to them. 
Um, and you know, law practice queen it's, it's evolved. I love the writing piece. And so I'm actually, you know, I've done some one-on-one coaching, but what I want to focus on, I'm writing a book and I'm focusing on a book project. I'm also focusing on a membership where I can give, give a little bit of myself, but I have Mm -hmm. to be guarded with my time. Right. And the one-on-one coaching, it's fantastic. And I think I'll continue to do that, but I think, as far as my overarching, you know, plan, it's to keep more women in the legal industry. And I can do that by connecting female attorneys globally. I can do that by helping them build their networks. Um, There's just so much to get into with business development. And I think right now in this, you know, COVID pandemic client, there's so much business to be had and everybody can have it. It's not like a you or me type situation. It's a, I think the more you can view it as like a collaborative experience, um, the more your business will grow. And I think in the legal industry, there's, I think there's this antiquated view that you have competitors and it's, it's, it's you or them. And, and the reality is most clients, they use different lawyers for different things. Um, and, and also for business development, you know, advisors, coaches, I think if somebody wants you, like they're going to work with you. Um, and so it's, it's just been fun and I'm trying to keep it fun and keep supporting the female legal community, which I think there's, there's a lot of imposter syndrome there. There's a lot of really what I was going through when I was, you know, thinking about what my next step was. So I'm just, again, trying to throw the ladder back, throw the rope back and, um, help people kind of see that within themselves and help them with their businesses. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think oftentimes when we look at these situations, when we're feeling like we're struggling in a, in a career, it, the, the decision seems sort of binary, like either plow forward or, or get out. And, and I'd like the fact that you're kind of helping people to see different paths and different avenues. Um, what are, I guess, are you seeing like, are you seeing people pursuing alternative careers sometimes like with your clients? Are you seeing them kind of scale back or, or shift into another environment? Like what are some of the, what are some of the common pivots or shifts that people are making these days? Yes. So I'm seeing anywhere from people picking a completely different practice area because they hate the one that they're in. And I'm seeing people actually staying in the practice area they hate because they're scared of Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, they're scared of change or, I think a lot of people, once you have a family, you start a family, you feel like you have this responsibility to kind of stick with a certain path. Yeah. Um, sunk, sunk cost, right? Yes. Sunk yeah. cost. And it's mm-hmm. just, it is, it's hard to see on the, on the outside as like an outside advocate to see somebody go down a path where you know that they're not happy and nor are they going to continue to be, you know, mm-hmm. they'll be miserable. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes a lot of you know, cojones to be like, well, I'm, this is not working for me right now. And what, what can work for me? And I think realizing that the level of risk is there's more risk to not picking a path that is genuine for you. But as far as the alternative legal careers, I mean, they're exploding. I'm seeing lots of people where 
they're either helping with business development inside a firm, external to the firm, um, working within organizations, maybe in like an in-house counsel role. Um, there's just so, there's so many places for you to apply your legal skills that don't involve you getting out of the industry and selling essential oils, which like <laughs> is mind blowing to me that somebody thinks that that's the only option they have. And, yeah. and the real concern I have is somebody taking on debt and, and, and putting so much time and so many resources into an education and then turning around. And once they have a family, just kind of throwing up their hands and being like, yeah, and it's fine. I think it's fine to take a pause, right? I think taking a sabbatical can be really helpful too, in some scenarios. And I've seen people do that, but I've seen um, a lot of people in the alternative legal space. I think carve out a more um, fulfilling day-to-day life for themselves, which I think we're all looking for at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's hard. I mean, it, you're right. It, there's a lot of mental hurdles to overcome, but just sort of taking that positive action, the steps forward, working with someone like you to, to think through these issues, it's, it's critical because it really has such a huge impact. I mean, obviously we, as lawyers, we spend more waking time working at a, at a firm than we do doing anything else uh, during that stage in our life, which is which is kind of scary, but um, but true. Uh, so it's important to have the right path. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about thought leadership, content, marketing, that kind of thing, which I think we both uh, enjoy and, and do quite a bit of. Um, so, you know, LinkedIn, maybe that's a good starting point. Um, what's your approach to LinkedIn? Like, what are you trying to do there? What what have, what sort of su- success have you seen? Any tips for others who are thinking about maybe see the value in creating content on LinkedIn, but haven't had the fortitude to get started yet? Yes, I think that one of the common questions I get Um, a lot of people ask me, do you get clients from LinkedIn? And the answer is absolutely yes. And the way it's important to understand the life cycle of a law firm customer, right? How do clients come to me as a lawyer? Most of the clients that I get are referred to me by other attorneys. It's not a um, like a B2B, like with the business coming straight to me, usually the business already has somebody they know, like, and trust who's a lawyer that they then call. And then based on what type of lawyer they need, they get farmed out to maybe somebody like me or somebody else. And so I think it's important to understand that it's, it's, critical if you want to develop your practice as a lawyer to have other lawyers that you know like and trust for any type of matter to kind of build up your referral list so to speak and so that's what i'm trying to do with linkedin is i'm trying to stay top of mind for my business connections and to kind of make goodwill deposits into their linkedin so then if Let's say there's a business owner that gets sued for a non-compete dispute, which is something we frequently handle, and they go to them and they say, hey, I got sued in Virginia. Do you know a good non-compete lawyer? They're like, oh, Katie Lip. It's that top of mind uh, kind of branding uh, recognition that you want to achieve by continuing to post helpful content to your network. And it's always with the intent of helping them with their practice. I think that that is one piece to the business development game that I see a lot of maybe younger professionals missing the mark on. It's it's very easily correctable, but you need to help somebody else, not take from them. It's give, it's not take. It's yeah. like, 
it's like farming. You need to, and there's so many parallels to farming and business development. It takes mm-hmm. a while. It does yep. not happen overnight. Um, you, you need to make sure that you nurture your connections mm-hmm. and, and give to them. Um, and you, it's not just for the point of a sale. LinkedIn is not selling. You can buy Facebook ads if you want to sell to somebody or LinkedIn ads or wherever, if that's your purpose is to sell. And there's always a time to sell, right? If somebody's calling you, you're, you're pitching them, so to speak. But you're, what you're really doing on LinkedIn is you want to stop the scroll. People think about how people go on LinkedIn. They go on LinkedIn for a business reason, uh, to network, and they want to learn more things about their workplace or about business. And so that's a really broad category there. And that's generally what you want to put on there. You don't want to go on with the intention of how many likes can I get on this? How many engagement is good, right? You want people to engage with your post. But I think people like giving your content, for example, Jay, when you go on and you post something valuable about business development, it's it's you're giving back information that then your followers can take and apply to their businesses to grow their businesses. And that's always the goal to stop the scroll, of course. Mm -hmm. So I think how do you stop the scroll? with the picture. I think research shows that if you post an image along with your post, people are probably going to stop and at least look at the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times I try to put like a picture of myself. So they think of me or I'll put up uh, like an infographic that I create about the post. Um, But it's all aimed at helping the people that follow me and then kind of curating a community. And most of the people I tend to add are female lawyers because I'm looking to advocate for them. I'm looking, if, if I get a message that makes, a lot of the messages I get on LinkedIn, of course, are like pitching services and things like that. And, you know, those go to the bottom of the pile. But the ones I want to see are, I saw your post the other day about, you know, how to be a rainmaker. And it, it just really clicked for me. You know, those are kind of the messages that I'm looking to get. That's the feedback that I want, because I want somebody to take that information and then go get clients, go get, go build wealth for your family. It's all about kind of creating your network. And so I I think LinkedIn is great for that. And I think it's, I'll continue to use LinkedIn as my number one platform. It's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I, and I'm a big advocate of LinkedIn as well and, and big user of it, as you know. Um, and it is, you're right. It's all about, it's a difference between, you know, buying attention and earning trust and attention. And yeah. that's that's what works on LinkedIn. And and that, you know, if you think about uh, an attribute of being consistent, uh, which I think is important, which means, you know, both having a, a point of view that's consistent, you know, being known for something like what is, what is yeah. your brand to use that term? And like, as opposed to sort of shifting with the winds as to maybe trying to chase trends, or like you said, get, you know, get a bunch of likes and whatever, just for the sake of that metric, which isn't all that meaningful, but also being consistent in the sense that you're you're consistently and on a regular basis expressing your point of view. So you're there, you're visible, you're top of mind, like you said. And naturally, yes, if you come with that abundance mindset that you described, Katie, um, you can, you know, be active, be consistent with no expectation of reciprocity. But naturally, when the opportunity arises where someone has an issue that they're facing that you address, then you're going to be the top of mind choice to uh, get that business. So you have to sort of have that trust and belief that 
that, um, you know, that farming mindset, like you said, where the harvest will come, but you have to just nurture it for long enough. And I think that's where people fall short. They just expect to have results more quickly than oftentimes it happens. And, and as a result, stop, you know, the activity, uh, too quickly. Um, so, well, that's awesome. Uh, You mentioned also Katie, and I I wanted to ask you about this, um, on the show because we talked about it beforehand, because I really have not experimented with it yet, but, um, LinkedIn stories is a relatively new feature. Um, and, and I think it's an interesting one. I have not, like I said, experimented with it much, but maybe just, uh, can you share your experience using it and maybe how you're thinking about it? Yes, absolutely. So LinkedIn stories. So if you open your LinkedIn app, you'll see these little bubbles on the top of your mobile app. And it's a place for you to post either 20 second video segments, or uh, you can do infographics where people can kind of click through similar to Facebook stories or Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it, it has a lot of potential and I've been using it. Okay. For several reasons. Reason number one, it's at the top of your up your screen, your platform, when you open it up. So you're right there. Okay. So you've got that number two on the notifications panel, it notifies your followers that you've posted a story, you know, Jay Harrington has shared a story. Okay. Let me click on that. Um, because not everybody's scrolling. It's important to note that you may reach different people through the stories than with your written content or your blog content or your podcast content. So it's just another, and I've noticed that the people that are looking at my stories are not necessarily people that are commenting on my posts. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're kind of scooping in another, it's, it's spreading your branding message and your content to maybe a whole new group of people. And I, I see the way stories have failed so far. So that's always fun to watch, not to throw shade at anybody <laughs> else, but I see people selling. I would not sell. Let's get away from selling. That's a turnoff. I see people posting a lot of like family pictures and stuff like that. That's okay. I mean, I'm not totally opposed to that, but I think it goes back to your point about branding and like, what, why are you on LinkedIn? I mean, LinkedIn is a business platform. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a workplace platform. So I would focus more on giving content to, to people. So, um, you know, what are, I, I did this post about rainmaking. I'll just use it as another example, three ways to become a rainmaker. You can turn that kind of into an infographic and plop it in your stories. Um, but I think it, I think it's just another way for you to spread your content and to create the no like, and trust element And that's what gets people to do business with you because they start to understand who you are, what you do, and whether or not they may need that service or not, um, or if maybe somebody else needs that service. So to put it all into context, I hired an organization coach to help me. I'm very like cluttered. I have like, (laughs) you can't see them. They're hidden now, but piles (laughs) everywhere, papers. And, you know, I'm a lawyer. I like to have my papers. And so hired an organization coach and she's helping me, you know, get organized. Mm -hmm. And the reason I hired her is because she's on Instagram and I've been following her for a couple of years and she posts a lot in her stories and it's always helpful content. It's helpful videos. And after like a couple of years of watching her short little videos, I was like, you know what? I'm going to hire Rose because I like Rose and she'll (laughs) help me out with this, you know? So it's just a way to give your customer a sense of who you are and what you do. 
Yeah. Well, so I, I think that one of the big takeaways here is if you're a coach and you want Katie to hire you, do Instagram stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Well, now I'm going to experiment with it. I, although I keep saying this, I mean, I, I swore off like so many, I tried to really be limited and focused in my social media use and content creation. But I know, I think in our last podcast episode that I did, I started talking about like, I'm going to start using Clubhouse and now I'm going to start using LinkedIn stories apparently. So I got to, I got to limit things at some point, but it is fun to experiment and kind of see what the, the features yeah. are. And, and LinkedIn stories is interesting because it, it is the one way, it is the one feature that allows you to see with specificity who's viewing your content, like you said, where, where you don't see that with a regular post. Yeah, you can see number of views and who exactly is viewing your post for how long. And it's just, it, it's a 20 second clip. So I warn you, it's so easy to go over that 20 seconds. I've tried, I wish I could have like a behind the scenes of me like trying <laughs> to create a story. That would probably be a That's funny a good one. one. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I'm literally sitting there with my phone being like, oh, it's too long. Oh, it's right. too long. Yeah. So it's, it's a, I feel like it's a challenge and mm. it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that uh, meme of the turtle eating the strawberry and it's like challenge accepted. Oh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just a challenge. It's another yep. thing you can get into. So I would only do it if you enjoy it. Right. And I, mm -hmm. I do Instagram stories with my law practice queen content too. And it is, it's so obvious that I'm a, you know, I am, I'm a millennial, but like I'm an older millennial and mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I try, but I don't always get the Instagram stories <laughs> right. So I think it's just kind of funny to see, you know, just like continue to refine, you know, the content. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Um, well, Katie, let's uh, let's wrap up there. This has been a real pleasure talking to you on the podcast. But uh, before we go, can you kind of direct people where they can go or should go to find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Katie Lip, L-I-P-P is in Paul. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And then my coaching website is lawpracticequeen.com. Uh, you can also check out my law firm website, liplawfirm.com. And um, yeah, no, it's been such a pleasure, Jay. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, that would be great. All, All right. right. Great. Well, thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com. 